Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 24 of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. In last week's episode, we talked all about the 2021 MLB season leading up to the month of September, including the current playoff picture, which hasn't changed too much, surprisingly enough. The only change that has happened so far is, well, I guess rather unsurprisingly, the San Francisco Giants, who have taken over the first place in the NL West by two games, and the Padres, who have taken the second wildcard spot in front of the Reds by a game. If the season were to end today after these changes, we would have the Dodgers and the Padres in the wildcard, and three NL West teams in the playoffs. You know, maybe it is time for some sort of shake-up in the divisions. <laughs> but anyway... In this week's episode, we're going to be talking more about the special events that come out of professional baseball, like the Olympics and the World Baseball Classic. The biggest difference between these two events all boils down to the rosters. You see, in the World Baseball Classic, MLB players are allowed to play and are encouraged to play as they aim to represent their home country. And that's a beautiful part about the World Baseball Classic. I mean, set up like the Olympics, a player plays with whichever home country they want to represent, so that the United States isn't always just the stacked team. That means that guys like Joey Votto can play for Team Canada, Javier Baez can play with Team Puerto Rico, and Sangwon Oh could play on Team Japan. The Olympics, on the other hand, only allow players who are not on the 40-man roster, so this includes pretty much a good number of AAA minor leaguers and the entire MLB roster. But this does in fact mean that retired players and prospects are able to play. That's why the U.S. men's Olympic team had a roster filled with a ton of minor leaguers from AAA and AA rosters throughout the United States, as well as a few legends like Todd Frazier and Edwin Jackson who had their fair share of major league experience. But we'll get to those guys later. Now, we're going to move on and talk about some of the history of these two events, starting with the World Baseball Classic. The World Baseball Classic is an international baseball tournament that started about 15 years ago, all the way back in 2006, so it's still, you know, relatively new. Since then, the tournament has been held five times in 2006, 2009, 2013, 2017, and this year, 2021. Now, the tournament is usually set to play every three years, but it was pushed back a year due to COVID. Now, there have been a few qualification games for the 2021 tournament, but the good majority of them have all been postponed due to COVID once more. So, the actual tournament is likely to just be played in 2023, just wait another three years before they start to do it again. Not only that, but I mean, all of the qualification stuff will still have to finish up, and I think that they just decided that it wasn't really worth it. The World Baseball Classic originally started as Olympic baseball and the Baseball World Cup, but these two tournaments were kind of discontinued after 2008 and 2013, respectively. MLB then decided that they wanted to continue to recognize the international baseball calendar, and thus the World Baseball Classic was continued. So far, the World Baseball Classic has been won twice by Japan, 
once by the Dominican Republic, and most recently by the United States. On their way to winning the inaugural World Baseball Classic, Japan edged out the undefeated South Korean national team in the semifinals, just before moving on to the championship game against Cuba. They ended up beating Cuba as well, 10-6, to become the actual quote-unquote world champions. 2009 followed a similar route as Japan forced their way to an impressive 7-2 record, losing twice just in the seeding rounds. Japan ended up beating the United States, who were 4-3 going into the semifinals, before going into a rematch with South Korea, who had once again steamrolled their way through the competition. The championship game ended in a 5-3 score, earning Japan their second title. By 2013, the Dominican Republic, and Puerto Rico for that matter, brought out the big guns. And I mean the big guns. Big names like Robinson Cano, Nelson Cruz, and Edwin Encarnacion led the Dominican Republic to a perfect 8-0 record, not letting their competition score more than six runs in each pool leading up to the championship game. So, you know, the pitching was pretty good too. This team was so dominant that they had three more wins than anyone else, the next closest being Puerto Rico, who went 5-4, and four, just before losing three runs to none in this championship final against the Dominican Republic. 2017, on the other hand, showed dominant appearances by three different teams. The United States, who went 6-2, and two, Puerto Rico, who went 7-1, and one, and Japan, who went 6-1. and one. Japan, however, was defeated in the semifinal game by the United States during one of the honestly craziest games that you will ever watch, with a final score of 2-1. Now, I remember watching highlights of this game, and they still come up occasionally. And just witnessing the brilliant small ball that made Team USA so great that year is just, it's incredible. The first run of that game came from an Andrew McCutcheon single that scored Christian Yelich. Simple, easy as that. The second run, which came in the eighth inning, by the way, came from a fielder's choice that scored Brandon Crawford. No long balls, no extra base hits, just small ball. Other than that, however, there was a whole slew of United States pitchers who kept Japan pretty quiet, allowing one run on four hits while raking in six strikeouts. The United States then went on to play the, well then, undefeated Puerto Rico in the finals, which was a game that Marcus Stroman will not soon forget. Stroman pitched six unbelievable innings, striking out three and only allowing a single hit. The United States, on the other hand, scored two runs in the third, two runs in the fifth, three runs in the seventh, and another in the eighth, you know, just for good measure. The championship game finished with the United States winning 8 to nothing in 13 hits, giving Team Puerto Rico their one and only loss of the tournament. Now, many baseball fans and players alike really love the World Baseball Classic because of just the intense energy that it always brings. I mean, this is just a team of literal all-stars from all around the world meeting in one place to play their absolute hearts out to become literal champions of the world. The fans are so passionate and loud throughout the entire event. I mean, selling out games faster than you would ever believe. But what about the Olympics? You see, baseball has technically been in the Olympics for a really 
really long time. It actually kind of surprised me when I was doing research for this episode. The first record of baseball in the Olympics dates all the way back to 1904 and the St. Louis Games, where it was shown off as a demonstration sport, meaning that it was more than likely added to the events in order to promote it and spread the word about it, rather than it be part of the standard medal competition. This was the same with the 1912 Olympics, where a single baseball game was played between the United States and Sweden. And, you know, no offense to Sweden, but I bet you can guess which team took the cake. The six-inning game ended in a 13-3 United States win over Sweden, after the United States scored four runs in the first inning, a run in the second, and then eight runs (laughs) in the fifth inning. The United States team was mostly composed of track and field athletes from America, while Sweden brought in the Visteris Baseball Club, the first ever baseball club in Sweden. Now, a kind of funny fact about this game is that, yes, the game lasted six innings. However, the United States only batted in five of the six innings. They actually ended up giving Sweden the entire six outs to end the game. So Sweden hit in the top of the sixth inning and the bottom of the sixth inning and still lost 13-3. to I mean, that's, I guess you could say that that's pretty cool on the United States' end. After the 1912 Olympics, however, baseball took a 24-year leave of absence before coming back onto the scene at the 1936 Summer Olympics in Berlin. This time, the game was played between the United States and a team called the World Champions, who was pretty much mostly composed of Americans as well. The world champions ended up winning the seven-inning contest 6-5 to as they walked off the game thanks to a solo home run off the bat of Les McNeese. The contest racked up a substantial crowd of 90,000 people, a record during the demonstration era of the game in the Olympics. Baseball again was thrown out of the Olympics before it was eventually brought back during the 1952 Olympics in Finland that once again showed off a game between the Finnish Baseball League and the Workers' Athletic Federation. But you see, this game was a bit different. This game was called Pisaplo, and it's a Finnish variant of baseball that's a lot like baseball. The only real difference between this version of the game and baseball is that the pitch is thrown near vertically, which obviously makes it a lot easier to hit. Therefore, the offense goes a lot quicker, and it depends much more on tactics than anything else. This also then leaves the defense to pure anticipation and situational play accordingly. By 1956, however, as the Melbourne Olympic Games rolled around, the demonstration sport focused once again on traditional baseball, with a game between the United States and Australia. The field was placed on the Melbourne cricket grounds, meaning that the right field wall was only 225 feet from home plate. So in order for a ball to be deemed a home run, it would have to clear the wall as well as the running track next to the grounds. Otherwise, the hit would just be deemed a ground rule double so that players didn't have to go hurtling over the fences and potentially damage the running track with the baseball cleats. Either way, the United States still won the game 11-5 after six completed innings. 1964 showed off baseball at the Olympic Games held in Tokyo with the United States team chock full of young talent, a whole bunch of college baseball players, eight of whom found themselves in the major leagues soon after. 
Team USA beat a Japanese amateur all-star team 6-2 during the exhibition, thanks in part to a lead-off home run off the bat of Sean Fitzmaurice off of the first pitch of the game. The team was coached by Rob Daydow, one of the winningest coaches in the history of college baseball at USC. The sport then took another break and didn't make it into the Olympics again until 1984. However, from 1984, baseball made an appearance in the Olympics in seven straight games, ending in 2008, once the sport was removed by the International Olympic Committee by a vote. In that time, however, Team USA achieved gold twice, as well as a silver and a bronze. Japan only failed to miss the top three twice, along with Cuba, Chinese Taipei, South Korea, and Puerto Rico. Two more Olympic Games passed before baseball was readmitted back into the Olympics in 2020, or I guess technically 2021. But this year's Games showed off some pretty exciting baseball as well, with Japan meeting and eventually beating the United States in the gold medal game after beating South Korea and the Dominican Republic to get in. The Dominican Republic beat South Korea for the bronze, however, rounding out the medals for the 2020 or 2021 Olympics. Now, there's something about watching a game of baseball when it's not tied down by these professional leagues. I mean, this is really just a bunch of players from college levels, from minor league prospects, and even some retired major league players that have kind of become legends in their own right. And not to mention all of the international players from all the different teams all around the world. I mean, it's just all of these people, like I kind of mentioned earlier in this podcast, coming together to play the sport that they love really as well as they can. I mean, sure, you know, it doesn't really mean much in the end, but it still has to be really amazing to represent your country doing something that you love in either the Olympics or the World Baseball Classic. I mean, that and also seeing all of these passionate fans from around the world, I mean, it must just be one of the most fun experiences of all time. So next week's episode, we're going to talk all about some of the other variations of baseball that have been formed all around the world that were either inspired by baseball or formed way before baseball was even created. Yeah, I got an idea from that Finnish baseball league. (laughs) Anyway. Thank you for listening.